it's always amazing because when I when I prepare for 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 preaching, um, I think I know what I want to say until I, I kind of touch ground in inside of a, a, a space, and then only when I get inside of a space, it always gets jacked up, and so my plans go out the door. And um, so I'm going to try to work that out as as the Lord is leading me. Um, but I just really felt the heart of God for this place. Um, we we love Chicago, Vanessa and I. We we've been here a couple of times with uh, with Anthem and just being on the ground in this in this. Um, region, uh, we have we have a heart for this community. We have a heart for this city. We we love the uh, eclecticness of Chicago. I mean, we're from Los Angeles, and so we um, we love city life. We love being uh, in that urban setting. Um, and, it, and it has nothing to do with kind of like all all the craziness that comes with city. It comes with the possibilities of God. Uh, it comes with the understanding that when we're based in a region like Chicago, like like Los Angeles, like New York, we we um, the possibilities um, to um, be Jesus in, in these regions, just for me and the way I'm built up, seem to be uh, a, a lot more accessible to believers. Um, when when you when I'm in a region that, um, and I'm 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 not dismissing um, people who um, have money and people who are. Um, able to take care of their own needs and things like that. But when, when I see Jesus' ministry, uh, I just see his heart poured out for the lost, for the sinner, uh, but poured out for the poor and the sick and, and, and the lonely. And, and I really believe that even though we are also called to minister up, there, there's just this thing of God's heart for the least of these. Uh, and, and when we think about that, I think... Um, what an opportunity then to be in a city like Chicago. What an opportunity to be in a, in a, in a city like L.A. Uh, to, to do amazing work for the Lord. Um, when we first were going to plant our church in Los Angeles, uh, we were going to call it Revolution. And so, and, and we were ready to take L.A. by storm. You know, that was kind of like the heart. I, I, I served in the Marine Corps, and so uh, a lot of the way I'm built is like put my head down and and. and and rush through walls. That's kind of how um, I, I, I approach things. Um, and it was amazing because a, a, a few months after we kind of launched our, our home group that was going to become a church, um, really our hearts for the city uh, begin to change. Because when we, when we came to a city, when you come to a city or a community like East Los Angeles, People in L.A. and people in the region that we're from, they know what conflict is about. Uh, they know what, what street wars are about. They, they know what, what it means to be in revolt against a system that is designed uh, to oppress them. They, they, they know what that feels like. And so revolution seemed... Yeah, it, it just didn't seem to cap, capture the heart of God for the city that we, we were trying to reach. And... And as we begin to discern and pray, okay, what are we going to name this thing, you know, that, that God is building with us? And, and really that word restoration came. And um, we had a friend come through early on in the life of our church, and he said this to us, and I, I just kind of want to put this out there for, for you, is you cannot be Restoration Church unless you are a church about restoration. Um, and... and when, when that was spoken over us, it, it just, it was like this mandate for us. Like, you can't just come up with some cool name and think like, oh, that's the thing, you know. It, it, it really has to be the heart of what you're about. And when we think about restoration and when we think about 
bringing restoration to a city, it, it can seem like an impossible task, right? I mean, if you think about, about what God is calling the church to do, and not just restoration in Chicago, but every other church in this region, what God is calling the church to do in Chicago, it, it, it could seem like an impossible situation for us, right? But we serve the God of heaven's armies. <laughs> right? we, we, we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and it's not by power. It's not by might. But it's by his spirit. Right? And so when, when we are being led by the spirit to, to come into a region and to bring restoration between God and his kids, between God and his children, when we, when we come to bring that, it, 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 honestly, friends, I want to I wanna take off the stigma of winning the world and soul winning and evangelism. I want to take all of the stigma off of that and the pressure that comes with that and just coming back to this understanding of God wanting to be in right relationship with his kids. I, I want to... I wanna, read you something, because I really believe that this is, is the heart of God for, for us today. Um, and then I'll kind of get into my notes, and then we'll just see where God, where God leads us, if that's okay. You guys all right with that? Okay. Romans chapter 10, um, verse 14 says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Right? We, we are called to bring good news. We, we are called to, uh, to, to bring uh, the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us. We are called to introduce children to their daddy. And, and I don't know if you, if, if, you, if you have ever seen one of those like shows where they, they reunite lost family members or, I mean, or, or when you see some of the military guys come home after, after this long stint on a deployment and they come home and they, and they see their kids and you see their kids just break down. And, and, and I mean, I, I normally think I'm a real macho guy because I'm Mexican and because I'm a Marine. Um, but man, I just, I always tear up and I always cry and I'm just like, oh my God, all right, we're going to be okay. Um, but it, there's something precious when you see a father and his children connect. And, and, and I, I want us to just come to the realization and the understanding that this is what we're called to do. We're called to connect people with their dad. Um, I, I have this, this, this amazing story that I, I share. And I, I didn't realize how amazing it was until after I, I, I realized the picture of what Christ means to us in our life. And I was in, I was in junior high school, and uh, um, my dad had a ministry for, um, it, was, it was a rehabilitation ministry and, and, a, and a sort of halfway house that detoured people from going to prison. And so uh, we would have a, a lot of these gangsters and drug dealers, and instead of going to prison, they would, they would be sentenced to this Christian halfway home where they would, um, you know, go through um, 
you know, Bible training and, you know, all kinds of different stuff um, through the ministry of, of the church that my dad led. And so I grew up hanging around with like a bunch of thugs. I mean, we grew up in East LA. My family is, is, comes from that kind of background, but we were also in the mi middle of this ministry, right? And so hanging around with all these guys, it was, it was like cool things for, for us as kids. You know, we were like all these murderers and all these crazy guys, and, and we would just sit there. And it was like going through the school of hard knocks in a church um, situation. Um, and so my friends in the community used to just come out and hang out with these guys because they're like, what? Yeah, let's go hang out. And they would just trip on all these guys who were in this, in this rehab. And so there was this guy there who was a pretty serious criminal, pretty higher up in one of the, the oldest gangs in Los Angeles. And, um, and he, he was just talking to us. He's like, hey, what, what, what school do you guys go to? And we're like, oh, well, you know, we go up to, you know, the Griffith uh, Junior High School just up, up the road. He's like, oh, wow. He's like, I think I have a daughter that goes to that school. And we're like, really? Like, what's, like, what's her name? And, and, you know, so he tells us her name. And, and so we're like, geez, that's, that's actually a girlfriend of one of our best friends. And so we're like, dude, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring her. And he goes, you're going you're gonna to bring her? He's like, I, I haven't seen her since she was, she was this big. Like, this, and this, this girl didn't even know her dad. So we, full of excitement and like, you know, thinking, you know, we're going we're gonna to be this, uh, you know, um, daddy and daughter matchmaker. You know, we run back to school the next day and we swarm this poor girl. We're like, guess what? We met your dad. And she's just like, whoa, like what? Like just, you know, you can imagine what that feels like when, you know, you don't know your dad. And so we, we slowed down. We paced ourselves. We're like, We've, we've met your dad. Is, is, is this your dad? And we told her his name and everything. And she's like, yeah, I, I think that is. And so like, can, after school, can we, can we take you to see him? And, you know, she was nervous. And you could tell that she was, you know, apprehensive. But she, she gathered the courage to come with us to go meet her dad after, after school. And so here are a bunch of, you know, young knuckleheads. We, we march her in like a platoon formation all the way back to, to the church. And um, it, was, it was one of those scenes is where she gets a glimpse of her daddy for the first time. And she just, with, without knowing him, runs into his arms. And he grabs a hold of her. And it was, it was this amazing scene just like you can picture in your head and, and it's this thing that we've been called to and I, and I think we have this this understanding about evangelism we, we get so freaked out and fearful about about sharing the gospel and sharing the good news and and we have to just come to this understand that God is desiring for his kids to bring his other kids back into relationship with him this is, this is the heart of it. This is, this is what God is desiring. Um, and, you know, I, I often tell churches this, and I share this with my own churches, like, you know, just because Restoration Chicago is about evangelism doesn't mean that you're about evangelism. And we have to come to an understanding that, that Restoration Chicago is the, is the name that had to be given to the nonprofit organization that has established itself in Chicago to, to, to be a church. But the church is not Restoration Chicago. The church 
is every person sitting in this room. The church is us. We are about evangelism. I am about evangelism. It's not the institution of Restoration Chicago or, or the eldership team or the leadership team. It, it, is, it is me. If we are the church and I am the church and, and Jesus is saying that I'm supposed to be about evangelism, then what is my responsibility to that? Right? Um, I love some of the, the, the older theologians who would punch us in the mouth with some of the things that they would say. And Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. And that is a punch in the mouth. And when I read that thing, I was like, man, can I share that? And, 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 and the truth of the matter is a transformed life desires other lives to be transformed. Someone who has been impacted by Jesus wants to see other people impacted by Jesus. Someone who has been brought into a loving relationship with their Heavenly Father wants other people to experience that. And, and so somehow, I mean, have you ever seen a stingy kid? Right? I mean, I have five kids, and I'm telling you, my kids are, are like, it is wild. Like, I always call kids communist because if one kid has one, I better get one too. Right? Everyone has to have the same. And so you, when, when we buy stuff, we got to buy five of everything. All right? Here's a, a lollipop for you and a lollipop for you and a lollipop for you. And, because everyone has to be the same. Unless they come up on something individually. Then it's like, whoa, this thing's mine. Right? Right? And then they want to. They and it, for, for as parents, like, that's not natural. Right? I, I share with you. You should share with others. Right? And we, we got to think that this is the Father's heart for his kids. I have graciously given you salvation. I have graciously brought you into a loving relationship with my heavenly Father. Jesus the Son, through the spirit of adoption, has brought us, brought us into right relationship with his heavenly Father. He has shared his most precious gift with the world, his daddy. He has given it to us. How in the world could we ever hold this thing to ourselves? How in the world could we ever think like, this is, this is mine? Right? This is the greatest thing that we get to share with the world, is right relationship with Jesus. Uh, Henry, Henry Hahn, he wrote a book called One, uh, Unfolding God's Eternal Purposes from House to House. Um, and, and I like what he says about evangelism. It says, the believer's job is to shine out Christ in their living and in their speaking. In their living and in their speaking. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that you and I have to, have to grab a hold of this thing, that, that evangelism and this, this understanding of sharing the good news, this understanding of introducing people to their daddy is something that should actually come out of our spiritual pores, right? I mean, it, 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 we should just be sweating this stuff, you know, as we're moving around. I mean, it's that aroma that Vanessa spoke over the church. It, it's that aroma that just exudes from us, like, man, this person's always trying to introduce me to their daddy. It's like, oh, it's actually your daddy, right? It's our daddy. Um, there's there's a, um, a portion of scripture I want to lead us to. There's actually two portions of scripture I want to lead us to this morning. And the uh, first one's in Luke chapter 14. Uh, if, you, if you know anything about this portion of scripture, it's, 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 the, it's the story of the great feast. Luke chapter 14, verse 15, it reads like this. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed. So I want you to get the picture. Jesus is sitting at a table with this man. And this man says this. 
What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Um, you're sitting with the king at the table. And, and this is significant to me, and I think sometimes we just read over scripture real quickly. We forget that we have already been called to the table. We forget that we already have a place at the table. And sometimes I think we, we, we start thinking this supernatural, you know, heavenly thinking, like, oh, how wonderful it's going to be to be in communion with God. We are at the table. We're, we're here. We're, 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 we're in, right? And so we, then, then there's this, this story that Jesus, I think, tells on the cuffs of that. Oh, you want to hear about being at, at the table of God? Let me, let me, let me tell you what, that, what that's like. Verse 16, Jesus replied with this story. Uh, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. What did he send out? Invitations. You guys have an opportunity to do that for Easter. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guest, listen, come, the banquet is ready. The banquet is ready. And, and this, is, this is what I, 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 I want us to grab a hold of, um, first and foremost. The world and people outside of the family of God already believe that there is something that they must do to prepare themselves to come to the table. Right? When, when you think about an invitation, right, it, it's normally, I'm not ready. Right? When you think about an invitation, it's normally like there's stuff in my life that I need to get rid of before I get to come to that table. We have to come to an understanding in our theology as we communicate, as we pass out these invitations, is you don't have to worry about anything. The banquet is ready for you. There's nothing that you have to do. You don't have to go and change. You don't have to go and take a shower. You don't have to do anything. The banquet is already ready. All you have to do is come. And we have to take the stigma off of, off of the, the, the non-believer, off of those who find themselves outside of the grace of God because they're already feeling the shame and the guilt and all of those things that, that are going to hinder them from entering into this thing that we call salvation, Right? And so we have to learn to tell them, no, 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 no. It's come. You don't have to be ready. It's ready for you. Right? Is that cool? Listen, so, but they all begin to make excuses. And you've experienced this with friends, probably. Right? I've experienced this with friends. I invite people to church. And they're like, no, if I walk into that church, God's going to strike that building, man. Like, you know, there's there's this this thing that they, they begin to make excuses because they're confronted with their sin. Right? And, and, and that's what a holy God does. God, you know, when, we, when we look at the, the, at, the, at the holiness of God, we're confronted with our own sin. And, and that's the way it should be because repentance is the gateway to salvation. Right? But they begin to make excuses. And one said, hey, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, hey, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, hey, I just got married so I can't come. Right? Isn't it amazing how, how people use their domestic life to get in the way of this spiritual, eternal relationship that God is calling them into? Some of us used it, right? Some of us still kind of use it. Well, I, you know, I really can't commit to leadership because, you know, my kids play soccer. And it's like, 
I'm, I'm not speaking against soccer. I, I like soccer. Um, but but you, you, we, we let domestic life get in the way of, of, of the eternal. Right? We, 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 we let this, these, these, these things that are supposed to be uh, um, avenues of, of enjoying this life that God's given us, but we let them hinder the eternal things that God has called us to be a part of. And so this, it's the same way with the, our friends, right, that we invite into church. Oh, I can't. I'm not ready. Oh, I got a job and all these things. And you guys have heard it. So the servants returned and they told the master what they had said. And his master was furious. Furious and said, go quickly, listen to this, friends, go quickly into the streets and into the alleys in the town and invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the blind, and invite the lame. And, and, and here's, here's, here's what I want us to grasp from this, is I believe there's many times where we go to the people we know, we go to the people we love. We go to the people that we have connection with and relationship with, and we get turned down over and over again. And a lot of times we use that as an excuse. As, as, see, that's why I can't evangelize anymore. I've already been turned down. But the master and God is saying, okay, you've been turned down. Let's take a look, uh, let's take a look at Jesus' life. Jesus couldn't even perform miracles in his own town. Because believe, people in his town just were like, hey, isn't that Mary's boy? And we're talking about the Savior of the world. And so we feel some rejection from, from people who, who knew us in our past before Jesus, right? People who are a little skeptical about the things that we're experiencing. People who might know it's just a little bit too good, right? And, and, and we take that rejection as, all right, I'm going to shut down this evangelism thing. I can't do it. And so God has taken away those excuses and saying, okay, they've rejected you. They get out to the streets quickly. Go to the streets. Go get the poor. Go get the lame. Go get the blind. Go get the sick. Go get my kids. So his master said, I'm sorry, verse 22. And after the servant had done this, after they had done it, then they reported, Lord, listen to this, friends, there is still more room. Check out the seats next to you. There's room. There's room. And even if those seats were filled up, I'm sure this school has some more chairs somewhere. We could fit in here somewhere. I heard there's a 400-seat auditorium on the other side of the building. There's still more room. And I think sometimes we get so comfortable with, you know, like, man, hey, there, I mean, look, man, it's full. Church is awesome. It's full, you know. There's still more room. There's still other buildings we could get moved into. There's still other churches that could get planted out of this place. There, there, there's still more room. We can't get so comfortable with this thing that we love because it's intimate and it's cool and everyone knows me and, and everything is, is like, you know, I'm accepted as I am. But if, the, if others start coming, then man, that's going to get a little bit uncomfortable. Like that's, and what if someone starts like sitting in my seat? Like, I like to sit in that one seat to the, to, I like sitting on the left because he usually looks right when he preaches, and so he doesn't look at me. And if someone take, like, we start thinking like that. It's crazy, right? We start thinking about parking spots. And we're like, man, there's only so much parking out there, and if a lot more people start coming, I'm not going to be able to park in the front. I might have to park in the corner. You know how long that walk is from that corner all the way to here? We start having these silly thoughts. And I'm telling you, we've had it in our church. People are just like, I don't know, man. This church is changing. It doesn't look like it used to, 
right? And, and, and yeah, man, it, you should look at, look at the leadership team. I mean, we used to be an all-Hispanic church, and now we got a, a Chinese elder and a black elder, and, a, and, a, and it, 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 it's just people start getting uncomfortable with the way things look. There's still more room. Is there room in your heart? So the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges, listen to this, friends, and urge anyone. Say that with me, anyone? Anyone. It's crazy. And, 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 and I'm going to talk a little bit about spirit-led evangelism, but it is crazy how we over-spiritualize this thing. Jesus is saying, anyone. And we're like, well, I'm waiting until like, I, I get an unction from the Lord. Um, and listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing that. Vanessa shared testimony with, with the group yesterday at, at you and Vanessa's place of, is, you know what, the Lord will, will prompt you. The Lord will speak very specifically to you about very specific people. And I'm not dismissing that. But this is God's heart. God's heart is saying, anyone, anyone you find, Right? Anyone you find to come, and here's this, so that the house will be full. So that the Lord's house will be full. For none of these I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. And that is a harsh reality. The Lord desires, listen to me friends, the Lord desires his house to be full now and in eternity. We're just thinking, oh, well, eternity, you know, there's, there's a lot of evangelists out there doing good work, and I'm sure, you know, that'll, that'll all work out in the end. No, 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 no. The Lord is desiring his house to be full now and in eternity, right? Um, it, let's, let's turn um, to um, the next chapter, Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to start with verse 1. Is that okay with you? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, can you say sinners? Sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Isn't that awesome? Here's a, here's a biblical pattern for us. Sinners should be welcomed into our midst to hear Jesus spoken. Right? Sinners should be welcome in this place. I, I, I love uh, um, Andy Stanley's approach to building church. That we're not building church for Christians, we're building church for sinners. And so if you're uncomfortable with sinners, it's probably not the right church for you. Jesus hung out with sinners. And the religious used to scoff at him. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about your expectations for, for the ecclesiology of Restoration Chicago. And, and, and when Hugh and Vanessa or, or Gavin and Megan as, as, and elders and other leaders is maybe right after church, they normally pay attention to the visitors or normally pay attention to, to you know, the person who, who's desperate in, desperately in need for Jesus. And most of the time for us as churchgoers, we have this what about me syndrome. But I, I, be, I mean, I've been coming to this church since the beginning. Like, wh why isn't he hanging with me? He hasn't taken a meal lunch for like six months. Like we, we, we start thinking like this. We, we, we start thinking like, wow, like, like we, we really begin to be so self 
focused in, in our approach. Now listen, I pray that, that they're being diligent on loving you and caring for you. But I also pray that you're pressing in. I also pray that you're mature enough to say, hey, I need some of your attention, right? Don't just leave it up to them. They, they're, there's, there's a whole, Jesus walked with 12. They're already walking with double that. So, I mean, just really think about that. Just think about that. So, I'm letting you think about that. This made, and you can take this as you want to, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he associated with such sinful people. Even eating with them? Really, Jesus? Shouldn't you be eating with us? We show up to church every Sunday. I bring my 20-pound Bible every Sunday. You're not eating with me. I showed up to that last leadership meeting you asked me to come to. Newsflash. Jesus associated with sinners. And if Jesus associated with sinners, the people of God should associate with sinners. I'm not talking about participating in sinful activities. I am talking about associating with them. Why? To introduce them to their daddy. To bring them into right relationship with their heavenly father. So Jesus told them this story. And I love this. Jesus would hear something. And he, let me tell you a story. Come here. Right? In the military, they used to say something to us. All right. School information. That means that you're about to get a lesson. Right? And a lot of times it wasn't a good lesson. But so Jesus, all right. Let's go. Uh, classroom formation. Here it comes. Verse 4. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets out, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And I know you guys probably know this parable. Parable of the lost sheep, right? You, you leave the 99 who, who, who are in, in, in um, good protection because they're, they're in the herd, right, to go and find the one. You guys know this story, right? I mean, even, even the secular world uses this parable about the lost sheep. I want to point out something to us, though. Um, verse 5. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Right? Listen, the celebration of salvation should never get old for the church. It should never get old for the church. The, the celebration of salvation, and we're talking bring from, from taking someone from, from death to life, right? We're talking about eternity. We're talking, this is eternal ramifications. We're talking, we should never get tired of, get tired of celebrating salvation, right? This should be the, something that, that, that actually provokes us to evangelism, right? But listen to this in verse 7. And honestly, this verse has transformed my approach and, and my visioneering of the life of Restoration Los Angeles on how we look at the sinner. And listen to me, friends. In the same way, just like there is celebration when, when, when that lost sheep comes home, in the same way, listen to me, friends, there is more joy. Can you say more joy? There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, I don't know if that messes with you, but I'm going to read it again because I'm going to point out something to us. 
In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I'm going to break this down to to some, some simple thinking. I used to think that all heaven rejoiced just because I showed up to church on Sunday. I'm not kidding you, right? I used to think that all heaven rejoiced because I was faithful to every meeting and every home group meeting and, and all of the things that, 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 that we do as a church, right? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that all heaven rejoices over one lost sinner who comes to repentance over, which, which, which tells us something. And hear me, friends. You are not devalued in God. We are his kids. He loves us. But the priority of heaven is the lost sinner. Heaven puts more value on the lost than it does for those of us who are already in right relationship with God. There is more urgency over the sinner than there is those of us whose eternity is already secured by Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. And we have to come to a revelation of that because it'll change the way, listen to me friends, we do church. It'll change the way we go about our life. And when I say the way we do church, I'm not talking about the way Hugh envisions a church. I'm not talking about, hey, having to come to service and, and, and worshiping the Lord and being equipped on Sundays and being edified on Sundays. I'm not talking about how you do Sunday service. I'm talking about how we do church as the church. Because it's not about doing church. It's about being the church. And if we're going to be the church, then we need to have the heart of God and the heart of heaven, right? We, we sung this morning, let heaven come. Right? We're asking heaven to come and change the atmosphere of where we are here on earth. And the way that happens is we begin to prioritize what heaven prioritizes. And according to this scripture, heaven prioritizes the lost sinner. And if heaven prioritizes the lost sinner, then what should God's kids be prioritizing? The lost. Heaven Hello. Heaven places greater value on the lost sinner than over the righteous. That doesn't mean our value has lessened. It means the urgency of heaven is directed towards the lost. Right? If this is true, then shouldn't the church, the church, feel a greater urgency to reach those who are outside of the church and those whose eternity, over those whose eternity is already secure. Um, David McGee wrote this. He wrote, we should be more concerned with reaching the lost than pampering the saved. Now, I, I don't believe that Restoration Chicago is about pampering the saved. But when I look at the church in the United States, I really believe that the church in our nation is more about keeping the saved saved than worrying about reaching the lost. How we design our churches and the secret sensitiveness of, of, of how churches is, is put out there is, is really to attract more Christians. 
the, the largest church is the traveling church. We go from church to church until we find what we like. It's like Burger King. We can have it our way. And I'm telling you, Jesus is, 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 is try to not get Hugh in trouble. I'm just kidding. It's not about you. Um, the largest church in America is the traveling church. And the reason why the traveling church is so large is because people aren't looking to, to lay down roots. Jesus is looking for faithful people. And when the only way for us to be faithful is to us to recognize and grab a hold of the call. And for me, the call looks like this. You know where God has called you, and you know who God has called you to. Right? And so where God has called you and who God has called you to is a place and people. But if God is consistently calling me from place to place to place to place, when am I ever seeing the fruit of the faithfulness that I'm actually putting out there? Right? So as a faithful people, God is calling us to a place, right? In, in Acts it says that God ordains the times and the places which men dwell. And so I believe that God has ordained you who call Restoration Chicago your church, you who are here setting down, he has ordained you to be here for this time, for this place. But listen, for these people, for these people, and we have to grab a hold of that revelation, right? Matthew chapter 24, 14 says this, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Now, I don't know about you, but that brings urgency to me. That the, the gospel will be preached to all nations, to every neighborhood, but it starts with the one. It starts with your neighbors. It starts with your friends. It starts with, with the sick, the poor, the lonely. Anyone, as we read, anyone who will receive this message, right? Anyone who will receive this message, then the end will come. And for those of us who are like, man, Lord, when are you going to come? And when are you going to come? It's... it's, it's we don't get to manipulate God, but, but, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit through his writing of Matthew, say, or, uh, we're in Matthew, yes. Uh, in the writing of Matthew says that the end will come when this gospel is preached to the ends of the world. When his kids have delivered the invitation to the rest of his kids that their daddy wants them to come home. This is what it's going to look like. Uh, today we are closer to ever to that point in, his, in, in our future. Today we're closer than ever to, to, to the end, right? That should create some urgency in us. Is there urgency in you? And I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm not trying to get you to go stand on the corner with some billboard, right? I'm trying to get us to understand that there is urgency. There are people dying and there are people going to hell. And we have the keys to life. The Great Commission, I, I, I know you guys might all know this, but I'm going to kind of land this and then I'm going to um, ask Vanessa to come up because we, we want to speak a few things over a couple of you, a few of you. The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 reads like this. I love the Great Commission and, and I, I, I find myself in this passion of Scripture a lot of times when I'm out ministering because I, I really believe it's, it's part of the call on my life is to bring others into this commission with God, right? It's the great commission. 
It's God's mission that he has invited us to be a part of. And it's called the Great Commission because it includes every person within the kingdom of God. And a lot of times people say, well, I'm not an evangelist. And we spoke to the group yesterday. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. We are all called to do the work of an evangelist. We are all called to, to bring the good news. We are all called to be bearers of good tidings. And so this great commission applies to each of us. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority. Can you say all authority? All authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, say this with me, go. Go. This is the apostolic heart of God. A lot of times we think of the apostolic ministry and there's like the stigma on apostles and apostolic means those who are sent. Those who are sent and choose to go, right? And so we should all even carry the apostolic heart of God to go, right? Go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And listen to this, friends. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, which includes go and make disciples. And so my encouragement for us is to grab a hold of these things and understand that disciples are called to make disciples. Disciples are called to invite God's kids back into a right relationship with him, right? Disciples are called to preach the good news. Teach these new disciples to obey all that I have given you and be sure of this. And this is Jesus's heavenly stamp on this thing. I am with you always. I'm with you. And I think there's this big fear in us, like, well, well who's going to go with me? And what, what, I'm with you. Who else do you need with you? <laughs> right? I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's some points I want to give you. Here's some, some weapons of evangelism. If you don't like the word weapons, use keys to evangelism. Number one is presence. Jesus says, I am with you always. You have the presence of God with you. We see in the New Testament that Jesus sent them out in twos, right? And, and, and although it would be very awesome and, and convenient, and I recommend it going in twos, that you don't always have to wait for the twos because God is with you. Jesus says, I am with you, right? So the presence of Jesus is with us. I am with you always. Number two, the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that word, therefore, basically is a transfer of that power. Therefore, that same power is given to you. Right? So now you have the authority. Not only do you have the presence, you have the power, the authority of Jesus to go. And a lot of times I think we're like, well, no, one, no one's like really, really giving me permission. Right? And so that's key number three. Weapon number three, you have permission. You have Jesus' permission. A lot of times we're just like waiting, like, well, I don't know, I haven't talked to the elders about doing it. You have Jesus' permission. Right? Therefore, that word is go, and you guys should like make that in capital letters with an exclamation mark, go. And have you ever like, like seen like a race or, or, or with kids? And then like when it like, when they say go or when a little horn goes or something like that, like kids don't know what to do. And then the parents start freaking out. They're like, go, go. You just see, because you just want your kid to be successful, right? And, and, and if you're like me, you want your kid to win. Um, and, and so like you just go, you're like, and, and I'm telling you, that, that this thing of salvation, most of us live at the starting line. 
that gun goes off, pow! And we're just like, yes, I'm in the race. Man, I'm in the race. This is so cool. And Jesus is in heaven. He's saying, go, go, go. There is so much more for us down the road. And you don't need anyone's permission. The horn has already gone off. The gun has already fired. Go. You have God's permission. Here's the hindrances to that. Self. Self. We get in our own way. Listen to this. I want, I want us, you, if, if you can remember something, remember this. Evangelism is not about you. We are the smallest part of the equation. Evangelism is a response of obedience to our Heavenly Father. Evangelism is a, is, is, a, is, a, is a response to the finished work of the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. Evangelism is about that person who is going to be walked from death into life. We are, are, are the smallest part of the equation. We have, it should not be about us. And yet, why don't we do it? Because we make it about us. What if I'm rejected? What if they don't listen to me? What if I say the wrong thing? What if they throw something at me? What, what, what if they call me a hypocrite? What if they point out my faults? What if, what if, what if they bring up my past? We, all of these excuses, and we, and we make it about us, and it's not about us. Second thing, instead of the power, we do it in human effort. Right? We do it in, in our own power. We do it with our own knowledge and wisdom. And we, you know, we try to be, you know, I don't know. We, we, it's, 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 we can't do it on our own. It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We've been given the power of Jesus to do this. And when you think that you're doing it in your power, that's when we begin to have those thoughts of I can't do it. And you're right. In your power, you can't. And so when we keep trying to do it in our power, we're going to get so discouraged, we're going to experience failures because it's not about how we do it in our own effort. It's doing it in the, in the power of the Lord, right? And then the third thing, right, is procrastination. Have you missed it? Have you ever missed it? I mean, I've missed it. There's times that the Spirit of God has prompted my spirit. He says, go now, that person right now. Right now, God? Right now. I don't know, God. Like, there's people around. Like, I mean, it's now. And we start wrestling with God in the moment, and we procrastinate. And I'm telling you, procrastination becomes spiritual laziness. Because we, 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 then we start tuning out that voice, right? Then we start, we start becoming deaf to the prompts of, of the Holy Spirit. And procrastination, I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's a thing that will kill evangelism in our life. We got to learn to respond immediately. When I, when I was in the military, we learned something. It was instant obedience to orders. And here's why. Because when you don't obey orders instantly, people die. That was a serious thing for us. When they say, get down, and you're like, why? And then you start hearing, tsoof, tsoof. that's why. And what we, we got to think about in these terms, when we aren't, aren't instantly obeying God, here's this, friends. Do we have a revelation of heaven and hell? 
People are bound and destined for hell without Jesus. That has to be a revelation. I'm going to close with this. Mark 6.34 says this, Jesus saw the huge crowd and he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And the reason why I'm pointing out this thing is do we have compassion for this world around us? Our king did. Our king had enough passion to leave the azure halls of heaven to come to the footstool of heaven and minister to those who would continuously reject, despise, and eventually murder him. But he did it for those who would respond. Are we carrying that same compassion when we look at the world around us? Are we carrying that same compassion recognizing that these people are desperate? I don't care what kind of house they live in. I don't care what kind of car they drive. I don't care if they're poor, rich, sick, black, white, brown. They are desperate for Jesus. They are desperate to meet their father. Are you willing to be an agent of invitation?